Chapter Seventeen of An Unwilling Guest by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Seventeen, Mister Worthington's Repulse. In the meantime, Doctor Maurice Gray had not been idle. His new practice took every atom of time the day contained, and sometimes much of the night. To fill the absence of a man so great required unceasing labor and energy. His life carried him into many homes where were distress and sorrow in one form or another. Constantly he was appealed to to do the impossible. He sometimes longed for the power of some of the old disciples to work miracles, till he remembered that he who was managing all the affairs of the world knew and loved each one of these sufferers more than he possibly could and was working his best in each life but all that was in his power to do to help he certainly did he was indefatigable day and night neither did he slight the poor and lowly he kept up well the reputation dr atley had always had of being no respecter of persons in his work of healing his coming brought many a ray of sunshine into darkened homes. But with all his hurry and burden of other lives upon him, he did not forget to pray. He kept up his college habit of praying for certain individuals, but among them all there was one name which he never forgot, which stood at the head of his list, and for which he prayed with all the earnestness his earnest soul could feel, and that name was Evelyn Rutherford, just what his feeling toward her was he had not asked himself it was enough that he wanted her to belong to christ wanted it with his whole soul he would put his energy into that thought he had no time for any other what did it matter god would work out any plan in his life he chose if he but waited and did his duty whether of sorrow or joy if either were meant for him he hoped he would be given the right spirit in which to meet it. He heard from home that Miss Rutherford had left them suddenly to attend upon her brother in Philadelphia. He was disappointed that she should have gone from there so soon. He had hoped much for her contact with Allison, both for herself and for his sister. Allison was too quiet and shy, and needed contact with a girl who was used to mingling with the world. Allison was consecrated, and must make an impression upon one who knew not Jesus Christ. He wondered why it had been planned to separate these two, who had been so wonderfully, almost miraculously brought together. Then he wondered if we should have all our wonders explained when we got to the other side, and he left the matter there. He called at the Rutherford house one day to inquire how his old friend was getting on, for he thought they would have word. But he found the house closed and not a servant about. His card was among many others which Evelyn found as soon as she returned. It was crumpled and dusty, and she knew it must have lain under the door some time. It was well on into December before the Rutherfords finally returned to their home on 64th Street. The broken bone had not behaved well, and Evelyn's work had been much more trying than she had anticipated. Nevertheless, it was with a certain satisfaction that she reviewed the weeks she had spent in Philadelphia. They had not been altogether unpleasant. She had discovered that reading aloud was a very pleasant way of enjoying a book, 
and getting a great deal more out of it than one could possibly get alone she had discovered that there were lots of books in the world that she had never read which were vastly more interesting to her than the class of society novels she had been accustomed to devour of course she had a mind above these other books or this would not have been the case she had discovered and this was a very important revelation that her brother was good company each had developed an unsuspected affection for the other and the time had passed much more rapidly than either had hoped it was therefore with a loving solicitude that she saw him hobble into the house on his crutch and hastened to prepare a couch for him to make him comfortable on their return to new york he would come before he was at all strong enough the father coming upon them unexpectedly the day before they had thought he could arrive was pleased to see evelyn bending over her brother to settle the pillows comfortably something in her attitude reminded him of her mother as a girl and he stopped an instant on the threshold to look before he spoke he was gratified beyond expression to have his daughter put her arms about his neck and kiss him as if she were really glad he was come home once more he could not remember so spontaneous a greeting since the days when she was a tiny child he was not a father whose way was to show affection but he had a well of it hidden in his heart and though his blunt plain-spoken words were often against him he loved these two children of his deeply he cherished that kiss in his heart though his only outward response beyond a smile was we made faster time over than we expected and got in an hour ago i came right up from the steamer evelyn was so satisfied with her experiment in philadelphia that she set about establishing a new order of things in new york she took the management of the servants more into her own hands and finally dismissed entirely the housekeeper who had been with them for several years and had grown fat and lazy in her position and lax in her duties she wrote to allison for the recipes of one or two things she had eaten at their house and knew their father would enjoy and once she essayed to go into the kitchen and attempt some waffles herself sorry-looking affairs they were and worst tasting and a much bedraggled young woman it was with burned fingers and aching back who finally with the aid of a trusted maid it was the cook's afternoon out carefully removed all signs of her experiment resolving the while mentally to conquer waffles some day if it took a year to learn but her attempts were not all in the culinary line she turned her attention to the library and made it as attractive as her skill could and then she would coax her father to sit with her sometimes when he came home weary with his business and ask him questions about politics and things in which she knew he was interested and for which she had primed herself by reading the morning papers he was surprised and pleased with this attention and would sometimes come into the music-room when she was playing and lie down on the couch to listen staying an hour or two if she played so long she marvelled to herself that little things that could be so easily done could have such an effect on the home life they seemed to be more of a family now than they had ever been though she felt that there was something lacking and that something she knew from the hillcroft picture she had looked upon was a mother however she was doing the best she could and she plumed herself mightily upon her success 
insomuch that she felt she was now quite able to compete with Allison in goodness. And then one day, on coming home from a round of much-neglected calls, she found Dr. Gray's card again, and suddenly remembered her promise. Yes, she had kept it, but for some reason her conscience did not entirely approve of her. She had said the words over every night, but she had been so engaged in working out salvation that she had forgotten that she was to ask it with her whole heart and try to desire it. The words that had become so familiar that for the moment she could not tell their import. That is the way we do with things most sacred when we are otherwise occupied. It is the devil's one weapon against vows and promises and mighty words of warning or invitation. We hear the Bible till we let its meaning slip by us on oiled wheels of familiarity. We forget the relationships we bear to one another and their sweet and wonderful meanings by the very intimacy that the tie brings with it. And so Evelyn Rutherford suddenly realized that she had forgotten that she was to ask to be made willing, to be good, as she phrased it, in the very act of trying to get herself that righteousness another way. Not that she reasoned it out this way. Oh, no, she was too little familiar with such thoughts to reason. She simply was ill at ease again, and when she knelt that night to say the prayer, the words would not come so easily, and the angel had to stand quite near to listen that he might carry up the incense of that feeble little orison to the throne. The next morning was Sunday, and she arose very early and underwent not a little inconvenience that she might attend the church service. It seemed to her that this might ease her restless spirit as she did not belong to any church in particular, and the family went where they chose when it pleased them to go at all. She idly chose a church where the pastor had lately become noted for his unusual sermons, and where she knew the music was fine. Not feeling a mood for meeting acquaintances, she took a seat in the gallery, where she could look down upon the audience, and where she was comparatively hidden. The opening music over, she settled back in her seat, half repenting that she had come, and began to search out one and another whom she knew in the audience. She wondered what they came to church for, and why Miss Spaulding wore such hideous hats, and did her hair in such a wretched fashion, and forgot entirely to note the text or the opening words of the sermon, which were usually exceedingly fine. So the paper said about the preaching of the eminent young divine. Then suddenly the whole scene was changed for her. The vestibule door swung silently on its hinges, and someone stepped noiselessly into a seat just below the curve of the gallery, and took a seat where she could see him. And behold, it was Dr. Gray. His reverent attitude at once brought it sharply to her mind that this church was a sacred place. The worshipper below felt it to be such. She saw from the instant rapt attention he gave to the minister that he intended to make the most of the service. And now, behold, she heard the sermon herself, and heard it as though through the ears of the quiet listener seated below her. The thoughts of the preacher were reflected in unmistakable lines on the speaking face. And all the way through to the end, Evelyn felt as if she were being preached at and by one who cared for her salvation. By the droop of Dr. Gray's head in prayer, she recognized that the sermon had passed into petition, and then she felt herself prayed for. Suddenly she was seized with a longing to hear him pray for her, 
had he kept it up yet he said he would and she believed he was a man who always remembered such things what did he say when he called her name before the throne what name did he speak how ran the words the closing hymn was announced and she suddenly recollected in confusion that she had not bowed her head nor even closed her eyes during prayer she was glad that few could see her where she sat then she began to dread the close of the service and to half fear half long to meet and talk with dr gray would he ask her if she had kept her promise would he say anything about that dreadful sermon that seemed to have cut straight into her life and showed how barren it was then the question was settled in an unexpected way the man downstairs seemed suddenly to become aware of the outside world once more he took out his watch and with a hurried motion put on his overcoat and slipped out of the church ah yes he was a busy man he had work in the world to attend to something worth while in a gleam of revelation she saw how useless her life thus far had been and went home more miserable than she had been for a long time mr worthington dropped in that afternoon she had not been cordial to him of late but she hailed him as a respite from herself and for an hour was as gay and reckless as she ever had been before she went to hillcroft she laughed and chatted and used her fine eyes to good effect then suddenly her father and brother entered from the street and the glance that each cast into the room as they passed by without coming in reminded evelyn of what they thought of her visitor a vision of a fine serious face in reverent attentive attitude in the tinted shadows of the dimly lighted sanctuary came between her and the reckless face of the man with whom she was talking all her brilliancy left her and she declined coldly an invitation to an unusually fine musical performance and took the violets he had brought her from her belt where she had fastened them throwing them carelessly on the table she seemed out of harmony with him all at once and shuddered at a joke he ventured to perpetrate what would dr gray say could he hear her in such company she mentally reviewed the conversation of the afternoon it did not bear even her own scrutiny she was ashamed and began to plan how she might rid herself of him it was not an easy task seeing she had so far lowered herself as to encourage his attention was it true as her brother had said that she was a flirt she would not like to have that other man know it she would not have liked him to see her this afternoon mr worthington was too keen not to feel the depression of the atmosphere and soon took himself away wondering what had come over miss rutherford so suddenly he was as near to being in love as he had ever been in his life and he was in great need of some girl's money if he would save the reputation under which he had been masquerading perhaps he had better be a little more guarded in his speech though she had seemed at one time to be dashing enough and not afraid of anything well there was no accounting for women but this one was worth cultivating a little further and going slow for if that was what she wanted she appeared to welcome him heartily enough till her father and brother arrived probably that was the matter they had taken a dislike he had always considered her brother entirely too nice about some things however he could pose as a moral hero if need be and he whistled an air from the opera as he went his way toward jane bashford's 
where he was sure to find five o'clock tea and a welcome. End of chapter 17